We'd be out searching for that treasure, sailing the seven seas on a five-year mission, boldly going where no man has gone before. Hey, that's catchy. This is Genre. We're reading genre classics and pulp gold, and we watch the occasional blockbuster. Right now, we're reading and watching Nautical Law. And this week, we have watched Muppet Treasure Island by... By who? Who's the director on this, guys? Jim Henson, isn't it? Uh, Brian Henson. Yeah, Jim Henson's char- character is Brian Henson is the director. He's the son of puppeteers Jim and Jane Henson. Whoa, that's so cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to see it's like they're keeping it in the family, though. It's a family business, the Muppet universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate to break it to you, but they sold out to Disney, so uh, it's game over. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 that's Damn. true. That family line was ended but when this film was made. It was still pure. Mm. Yes, still pure family affair. Bob, I'm interested in cowboy stories, horror stories, Mike Hammer, and Muppets now, and strange themes in general. I'm John. I'm interested in the way genre fiction explores the tension between the trope a character employs and the trope character embodies and the unique individual behind it. For instance, no Western can ever do without a whiskey-drenched gunslinger, yet no two gunslingers are ever exactly alike. I'm Zach. I'm interested in stories that piggyback on the science and politics of their time, stories that give you a glimpse of how people are thinking. Books like H.G. Wells' Journey to the Center of the Earth and Graham Greene's Our Man in Havana. All right, guys, to launch right into it, was this a mistake? Was it a mistake to watch... (laughs) <laughs> was it a mistake to watch Muppet Treasure Island? God, no. I thought it was incredible. What you... <laughs> no, I don't think it was a mistake. I think I don't think so at all, no. What What is everyone's relationship to the Muppets? That Maybe that's a good place to start. I never watched it enough. My friend Andy watched it quite a bit. His family watched Muppet Treasure Island every year. And I think there's a Muppet Christmas Carol. They yeah, watch absolutely. that every year, too, uh, for Christmas. Yeah, never seen when, when I'm growing up, Muppet's Christmas Carol is on TV every year. I'm not saying I watched it every year, but it was it was oh. only on TV every year, and I did watch it at least a couple of times. And yeah, I think I really like most familiar with the Muppet movies. I'm sh- I know I watched this film when I was younger, but it was mm. it was interesting mm. to watch it again as an adult now. So I feel like no, it wasn't a waste of time at all. I feel like I've reconnected with a part of part of my childhood, a small part. Of my childhood. I, I've heard a good argument that the Muppet mm. Christmas Carol movie is like the definitive version of that Charles Dickens tale and the cultural imagination now. Like, it's like yeah. superseded all of it. <laughs> I think Treasure Island, too. You think so? I think Treasure Island, too. I think the Muppets have been more powerful than these originals. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure they, that talking crustaceans have taken over as canon. Well, okay. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, good point. <laughs> good point on that. But when I opened up this movie on Disney+, Plus, I saw another film version of Treasure Island, and I was like, I didn't even know this existed. You know, like a 1960s live action yeah, I think Disney made one. So, yeah, do with that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that one. I so never watched any of the Muppet movies ever and maybe saw a couple pieces of episodes from the Muppets. I mostly just know the two guys who sit up in the oh, yeah. in the audience and heckle and people. I could have danced better than <laughs> Waldorf and Statler. And they play like the mermaids on the front of a boat this time, yes. right? Go on vacation, you said. <laughs> Have a fun time, you said. And they're trapped on the front of the boat. I believe 
I believe where they are, their name is actually the Fountainhead. Their character's name is the Fountainhead. Oh, really? Hmm. Yep. That's funny. Do you think... Yeah, that part of the, the boat is called the Fountainhead. So you think Ayn Rand wrote her book about them? <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> Grumpy old men heckling people. It is definitively about Because <laughs> they have such high standards, unlike all the other people who have low yeah. standards. So they're never satisfied. So for the listener tuning in on this episode and this episode alone, last week we read Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson, the 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 spring from mm. which this tale hath sprung. <laughs> which is, I think, so I guess surface level. What in what ways is that story different than this one? One of the first things I noticed, and I think it. Like you said, Zach, it's probably best for a kid's movie and also I think cuts a little bit of beginning out from the book to make kind of a, to let us dive into the movie faster. Jim Hawkins, who's the main character of Treasure Island, the kid who's about like 12 or 13, Treasure Island. In Muppet Treasure Island, he's just an orphan. Yeah. In the book, his father passes away. He lives with his mother. His mother's really nice, but not really much of a character. And then he goes off on an adventure because pirates come into his life. In this Muppet Treasure Island, it's very similar, but now he's just an orphan and he lives with a tavern lady who seems very rude but has a heart of gold. Yeah. I, I like what it does for the storytelling in the sense of like for a children's movie, I guess it's kind of like with a, with a, with a slight gear towards adults you know a, a children's movie with adult humor we don't have to start off with a death in the family you know like i i think in in the book the death of jim hawkins father frees him to go you know have this this grand adventure but in this book mm. he essentially has no ties you know what i mean like he he doesn't have to undergo any sort of transformation it's just yeah. oh pirates are here time to get moving and go find this That's treasure true. though I do wonder, psychologically speaking, what the difference is between the book version of Jim Hawkins, who is a loner type, hanging out mostly with adults, you know, looking for these different father figures as his father died. You know, the stuff we kind of covered in the last episode versus this version where Jim Hawkins has a crew of friends, you know, a rat hmm. and a gonzo. And the him and Rizzo the Rizzo rat, the rat, Rizzo the my, rat, my boy, my favorite character in the whole story, my favorite character in the whole yeah. film, Has classic that. Muppet. <laughs> so we got a crew of of kids here, kind of rebelling against their domineering, like tavern school marm type mother figure. You know, it's like boys against the mother in this. Mm. That's kind of the psychological mm. thing going on here. I think um, there's quite a few reasons that it's different from the book but one thing that i thought was very interesting is jim hawkins his we talked about him going through kind of a um the buildings roman what's that normally called coming of age story so in that all the coming of age moments i think in the book are a lot more harsh and in treasure island the movie it's all a lot more fun and cozy even to the point where he actually has to go and confront the pirates in the book he has to actually shoot someone and kill them he has to like you know being almost killed in Muppets Treasure Island is really fun because we see people run back and forth and they're Muppets. In the book, it's pretty harrowing because a boy actually has to take two guns and kill a man and then watch him struggle in the water, try to survive, and then die again. And all of the moments of those coming-of-age lessons that we talked about in the book 
killing a man, being lied to by an adult, they seem less harsh in the movie. I don't know if that really changes the psychological growth of the character, but it doesn't seem as much a coming-of-age story as it does a fun adventure that the kid yeah. goes on, comes back unharmed. Yeah, I agree with that. There's no, there's no sense that he's like grown as a character as, as a result of this. It's just a series of events have occurred. You know, problems have arisen, problems have ultimately, ultimately been solved, and everyone's gone back home at the end. So it's kind of like, yeah, nothing much has really changed with him. Yeah. Hmm. I feel one thing that's also the the feeling of the character overcoming something in the movie is more clear, I think, in the movie. It feels way more ambiguous about how I think Jim experiences the th- the coming of age. Like we know he's wiser at the end of the book and the movie. He's not any wiser, but I feel like his emotions are clearer because of that, his relationship with Long John Silver, namely because of a compass. He and Long John Silver share one last word together and the emotion, I guess, there's kind of a... I don't know, emotional payoff. The emotional payoff for that scene is a lot yeah, clearer than it is. In the, I think that might be true. I think that the, what Long John Silver means in the life of Jim Hawkins is a little bit different in this story. And that, God, you know, mm. let, let me just find... Nope, I don't have the quote. But in in the book, we got the <laughs> sense that Long John Silver was a kind of replacement father figure. In this movie, he seemed more like a potential friend. And... I think that Jim Hawkins has to learn to distinguish between like like good friends, good influence friends, and bad influence friends. And with Long John Silver, he seems like a good influence friend, mm. but then he's like, you know, oh, you know, we, we don't have to follow all the rules. He's kind of like a, a temptation. He's a satanic figure, if you will. <laughs> I think he's definitely a satanic figure in in the novel. In this one, I felt like he was more just a potential like master, you know, to to the young cabin boy Jim Hawkins' apprentice. Like at the end, when he does cut himself loose and he's making off with the treasure uh-huh. at the end, and he tosses him his compass. Like you know, it really is a shame we'd have made a great a great team. So Long John Silver sort of would like him as his kind mm. of understudy. I think really in pirate treasure hunting, but ultimately he chooses the side of good. That's true. In the the film universe, it's a question of who is Jim allied with, Kermit the Frog or Tim Curry, and those are those are very different. Like, like <laughs> one of them is perhaps more fun than the other, but the other one is gonna you know make sure you wash behind the ears and keep your shoelaces tied. You know what I mean? Like, like, like they're very different examples of like mm. what a good friend or a good leader of a group, or you know what I mean? Like they're. They're different models of people. Yeah. I One thing about the Temptations that feels very different to me is the when Jim Hawkins in the book goes into the jungle, he's already abandoned the pirates at that point and knows that they're all bad people. And so he's just running from them to keep safe because he knows something terrible is going to happen. In the movie, when he goes off with the pirates, they actually mm. force him to go with him. He's not running into the woods. They Long John Silver grabs him, pushes him on, pulls him onto the boat. And in that musical number, where all the pirates are talking about this really fun brotherhood of pirates, I feel like that is very different than the book because they do seem like really good, fun friends. But I like the way they did this in the movie. It's kind of like we talked about with Pinocchio and some children's books where the images contradict the words. Because while they're singing the song and talking about how righteous they are, how they always look out for one another, you see them just stealing things from each other. You can see like the images constantly contradicting what they're singing. And I feel like the the temptation is more clear 
I don't think there is as, as much of a temptation in the book as there is in the movie. Like here, you see all the the fun of the pirates, and I was thinking, wow, they do actually look like really fun guys. You see them lying, but there's that great scene. There's that great scene in the book as well uh, with the the musicians, and they're saying like, whose side are we on? Are we the pirates? Are we with the good guys? Oh, in the yeah, yeah, movie. Yeah, in the movie. Yeah. yeah, and these these pirates are like, don't worry about it, man. Just just play music. Don't get involved in politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 politics, yeah. politics. <laughs> Well, remember in the book, the pirates are animal, like not not the contemporary meaning of the word pathetic, but they're pathos filled figures in the sense of, you know, they're all sick. Many of them Mm. are missing limbs. You know what I mean? And Long John Silver (laughs) is kind of like he's the kind of figure who Mm. takes everyone under his wing and he's kind of caring for these people. One of them has like jaundiced skin, you know, but in in this book, I wouldn't Mm. say that they are impaired in any real sense i would say that the pirates tend to be really ugly muppets yeah one's dead dead tongue yeah old tom three thumbs old tom new tom yeah (laughs) dead tom Tom is dead (laughs) you shot dead tom oh Oh, he's already dead oh I love uh, the song that I've always loved since I was a child is a uh, cabin fever. <laughs> We've got cabin fever. <laughs> I've got cabin fever. Yeah. Oh, that's very. I mean, obviously, there's no cabin fever song in the book, but that moment where it's oh yes, they took out all the drinking from this. There's the scene where Fozzie Bear keeps dumping out the whiskey, but I thought it was interesting when in the book. The pirates start sneaking all the liquor. That's where the cabin fever would be happening because that's why they start to get yeah. Yeah. all messed up. It's because they are, they start sneaking the booze. And here yeah. it's because they have cabin <laughs> fever. So good. I feel like um, actually Jim Henson and Brian Henson or whoever is writing this really, 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 really read Treasure Island closely. And that's one instance where they needed to change it because they don't want to show a bunch of pirates drinking rum and getting drunk. But they achieved the same thing that I think the book was doing. And there, there's lots of changes that they made that I think are very smart changes that actually still give you certain like emotional payoffs or certain themes that were in the book. Now kind of kind of discreetly in the movie. Like what? Well, so what's his name? Mr. Arrow, right? Do you remember Mr. Arrow from yeah. the book? Wait, Mr. Arrow. Which one is that? Is that not really? Wait, okay. Not really. So I got to explain. This is, I loved this. Because I, when I was watching the movie, Mr. Arrow is the eagle, yeah. right? Who's very, I don't know what his Muppet Sam name the eagle. is. But he's very uh, Sam straight-laced. Eagle, sorry, Sam Eagle. Sam the eagle. You know, he's <laughs> Sam Eagle. He's, he's, yeah, so he's, he's total, totally moral, totally great. He's always in, like doing the right thing. Oh, I remember. To the point yeah, of Sam, being like, Sam Arrow was almost a drunk, an idiot wasn't he? Because he's always too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a drunk and he yeah. dies because he actually, he gets... They, well, they kill him probably, but he starts drinking. Long John Silver was the one who suggested him because he's always oh, the most morally upstanding man. You'll have the best person to watch out for you on the crew. And then he turns out to be a terrible drunk that they eventually kick overboard or poison and kick overboard. But I liked how falls off drunk this arrow is up. maybe just I'm falls off drunk. I kind of doubted that. That I think that they that might yeah that might be the case, but. Yeah, I just love the idea of someone being straight and arrow or promised to be straight like an arrow and then gets killed and it was just like a, a puppet to 
convince these dummies to get on the ship. And now we have an arrow who actually is totally straightforward or moral, totally different. Yeah, and and he his like fake death scene alerts the audience that oh yeah, Long, Long John uh, is a bad guy. You know, Long John will not only put you in a boat and yeah. kick you away, but he will also use guile and deceit to take the keys where you know where the treasure map is mm-hmm. being held. Oh yes, I would be a terrible shame to drop my keys in the river in the ocean. Yeah. I would gladly give them to you, Long John Silver. Uh, yeah, I think that's one of that. Like <laughs> this book, they did. Like, I agree with you that they read Trezriley closely because they do stick to like a lot of the key themes, don't they? Yeah. Like John, Long, the intelligence of Long yeah. John Silver and his kind of like satanic quality, but also yeah. just his rhetorical ability is also have maintained here. And similarly, the naivety of the crew is just emphasized. Like so, they they really play up. <laughs> key sort of themes from the book <laughs> to still convey that message in a like yeah. simpler way which i think they did a good job of that but i think casting fuzzy bear as a squire <laughs> for a lot of these, it was a nice yeah spark. and 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 the man in his can you guys, still I Mr. Bring him up. can you explain why uh, uh. <laughs> I, like, yeah. who told you it's you know uh, captain so, smollett who, played by kermit the frog Goes up to the captain and says, "This, this is the worst crew I've ever seen in my life." You know, this is a uh, what? What does he say? I found this. Uh, <laughs> this is the worst case of scalawags and double-crossing pirates I've. Well, I can't remember. What he they do a roll call. That's when they see dead Tom. And then what's the one who's like terrible and awful man killer of? They, they they have this disgusting name, and it's just this beautiful woman. They all stare, and she goes. Hello. <laughs> and it says, um, Squire Trelawney is like yeah, f- really Fuzzy Bear, and basically, you came across this, and this is an awful crew. Where'd you get them from? And it says, Well, I was advised to hire them. He says, Who advised you to hire them? And it's like, Mr. Bimble. Like, Who the hell's Mr. Bimble? He says, oh, he's the man who lives in my thumb. So, all right, great. And he took advice from Long John Silver, who said that this was a great crew. <laughs> and it's just like, Something tells this isn't going to be a good voyage. <laughs> <laughs> the inclusion so let's see we i i can't remember the character's name who was a old pirate who was marooned on the island ben gunn ben gunn, gunn yeah so or as she's now known benjamina benjamina gunn. yes <laughs> <laughs> i loved that was such a great reveal yeah. such a great reveal <laughs> akin maybe only to uh the reveal of marlon brando in apocalypse now in cinema history I yeah i just Building it up with just jungle deification, tribes beating the drums, having sacrifices, and all of a sudden, finally, we see what we've all been waiting for. Boom, Miss Piggy, yeah. Benjamin the Gun, <laughs> and Captain Smollett just looks over, and of course, it's a love yeah, story. Yeah. So this is this is a perfect example of how this book or this film, you 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 really need to be familiar with the story. Like, like it is a, it is, what would we call this? It's not a parody, but it's, it's kind of a spoof. Like it is, it, it's, it, you know, we'll start with comedy. It's definitely a comedy. We can all agree that it's that, but what it's doing is presuming the audience already knows that, you know, all the beats to treasure Island so that you can get these kind of payoffs hmm. like that. And even if you're not familiar with treasure Island, cause I watched this movie multiple times before I ever read treasure Island, you know, what's going on. Like, you know that things are skewed in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, what is the, the 
function and the role of an adaptation. I've been thinking about this like for Muppet's Treasure Island, but also for Dune. Dune, also for Dune. Hmm. And the Dune movie, I watched again this week while I've been reading it. And do you know, it's, I don't know, what, what is the role of a film? Because like, one thing I've been thinking of is it just fills in the world, right? Then you go back to that book and you have a whole world to draw on. I feel like this kind of does the same thing, but the world is a Muppet world. So it, the story is like almost like second to the Muppet universe, or at least there's tension between them. So the story has to adapt to the Muppets in a way, just as much as the Muppets have to adapt to the story. And I think this is a case of the story adapting to the Muppets. Yeah. Because they needed Miss Piggy in here somewhere, and there was no obvious place to put her, so they had to find somewhere. <laughs> and like, there's even a joke about it. Like some of the vegetables will be like the, the Swedish chef will be there, and people are like, well, "Isn't Lang John Silver supposed to be the chef?" It's like we had to get him in the movie somehow. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, there's also there's also like part part of the Muppet universe is winking nods to pop culture. So mm. what do you get? Well, Rizzo says, well, you know, I don't know if this this whole treasure hunt is going to pan out. So I'm selling tickets to Caribbean cruise. And he loads the ship up with rats, <laughs> like vacation <laughs> rats. And at one point he does like a roll call, you know, on them. He's like asking their names. And one of them is like plague bringer or something like that. <laughs> like plague men or <laughs> like this is this is like the Muppet. I forget exactly. I, I've already blanked on how you described the specific words you used just a second ago, John. But like, this is this is the Muppet universe kind of being crammed into the story of Treasure Island. Like, yeah, D- delightful, delightful in every sense. During during Cabin Fever, one of them says, "I'd like to get my hands on whoever wrote this script." <laughs> After yeah. like five musical changes. We talked about when we did a long time ago, we did Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. And we talked about the difference between the movie Blade Runner and Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. And one thing we noticed was like the emphasis of the original movie, sorry, the older movie, the Ridley, Ridley Scott movie. Think You're thinking of Orson there. Scott card. There was Ridley <laughs> Scott, sorry. Yeah. Orson Scott card. <laughs> Ridley Scott. There is more of the. Like in the book, the androids kind of just seem like killers who are pretending to be empathetic or pretending to have emotions, or I guess pretending to have empathy in order to survive. But in the movie, there's more of an emphasis for the androids really actually love life. And you see how much one of them loves life at the very, mm. very end, how much they cherish it. So I feel like often when you make an adaptation, there is one theme that spoke that wasn't maybe all the way expressed in the original that you want to emphasize or that you want to bring more light to. I mean, Blade Runner is quite a bit different from the book, but that was one element that I thought maybe the director sees something in the book that the author was not as interested in. In this, I feel like this really feels a lot more like an adventure, a more colorful adventure, I guess, than the actual adventure Treasure Island does which I know is not, not really fair to say because Treasure Island is an adventure. It's like the quintessential adventure, but this feels much more distilled and feels more like what I think of as what I think of when I think of adventure, whereas Treasure Island did not as much. So I'll, I'll build on that. I, I, we described the first, the, the Treasure Island book as boys adventure fiction. And with that comes, yeah. I mean, you know, I think there was pretty high stakes adventuring in the first 
in in the text, right? And and part of that was yeah, that's true. Jim Hawkins is kind of like the voice of reason. The adults all look to Jim Hawkins as a kind of like guide. Like he's he's frequently right about things, and it's and and the tension in the book is like Jim Hawkins mm-hmm. calls it as it is. It takes a little while for the adults to see it. So and and in mm-hmm. the course of that, people die. Bad things happen. In this book, mm-hmm. Jim Hawk or sorry, in this film, Jim Hawkins isn't a leader. He's just one of the people there. And I don't think anyone dies in this movie. You know, even Long John Silver, his ship capsizes at the very end, and he just swims towards the island, presumably safe and sound, no treasure. So there's a sense in which the text itself was a adventure. And this is like adventure tourism. You yeah. know what I mean? Like everyone just has a really fun time and then they go back home. Yeah, oh, Ah, that's that's exactly what I mean. I guess I was thinking more like pirate tourism adventure. Basically, when I watch this movie, it feels a lot more like Pirates of the Caribbean to me. Yeah. <laughs> which is my what I know of yeah. pirates than the book did. It feels like the ride, it feels like the funness, you know, the the fun of the movie. So it's the the tourism and I, I just the 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 colorful playfulness of pirates. I feel like. Yeah. When you say Pirates of the Caribbean, are you thinking of the ride or the uh, film? Both. Both. Yeah. More more so the ride, I guess. Like the all the images of pirates that I think of, you know, all the red bandanas, all the, the red golden earrings. Yeah. The things that are kind of funny in pirates is clear in the movie where it is not, whereas it is not in the book. Yeah. To be honest, I, I've seen the movie maybe once. I have no recollection of it, but I've been on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland more than a dozen times in my life i have that that thing is like a core memory burned into my soul (laughs) oh my god that's a quality ride the dog holding the key and the pirate being like come here boy (laughs) oh oh yeah side note just one of the skulls in there is still a real skull all of the the skeletons in the pirates of the caribbean ride used to be real more or less. Now they're mostly fake, and there's just. I heard they got rid of the winches in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Probably. Oh yes, I'm sure. Actually, that was, <laughs> it was. That was quite racy. <laughs> that that section of the. Were there any winches um, in this movie? I don't think <laughs> so. Return to the no. Other than Miss Piggy. Uh, Miss Piggy was a was a. Yeah, was uh, I'm sorry, Benjamina Gunn was a was a goddess. <laughs> Boom! Shakalak. True. 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 <laughs> So changes that didn't need to be made, but were in fact made, that I really enjoyed. Oh, replacing mm. the talking parrot with a talking—was <laughs> he a lobster or a crab? <laughs> a, a crustacean, yeah, yeah a lobster. big lobster. Did you notice how he was missing yeah. a claw and had a hook? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there was no, uh, there was no payoff was also to that. There like, was no like plot dictated reason he wasn't even a muppet that they were trying to fit in they just said what if this talking parrot was a crustacean do you guys notice anything else along those lines Does, doesn't long john silver say like i think well i'll think of something but i think long john silver when when jim hawkins says oh, i thought pirates had parrots and he says a talking parrot now i've heard everything yeah <laughs> goes off with his lobster changes what i really liked that i thought was that at first i did not like because it was like well that didn't really happen but 
then it would turn out fine. Where Rizzo and Gonzo accompany Jim Hawkins in all the scenes where it would otherwise be Jim Hawkins alone. For instance, when he's trying to hide from the pirates, it's supposed to be Jim Hawkins and his mom and sometimes Jim Hawkins alone. Now it's Gonzo and Rizzo. And that worked extremely well. Sorry, this is <laughs> this is totally not a case for why it didn't work. But they can kind of fill in certain details that we don't know watching the movie that took, you know, like 40, 50 pages to read in the book and they joke about it. It's again kind of being a little self-aware talking about we're making a movie out of a book. But the thing that I thought they shouldn't have been in later liked is the apple barrel scene where it's Jim Hawkins being finding out he's been lied to and finding out that Long John Silver is actually a traitor in many ways. He's a traitor to Jim Hawkins for pretending to be his friend. He's a traitor because he's going to kill everyone. And this time, Rizzo and Gonzo are actually already in the apple barrel. Gonzo's experimenting with starfish in his pants, which I thought was very strange. But the three of them hear it, and that really does emphasize the the friendship. There There are friends who are actually Jim's peers in this movie, which do not exist at all in the book. There are no friends as peers here he has two people he can talk to for all of the parts in the movie and he fills them in right away like oh my god can you believe what long john silver's trying to do so i didn't like it at first and then i, I, mean, I think I, I agree Sorry. that those two are the best like unnecessary but completely enjoyable addition to the movie i feel like some of the funniest moments were with gonzo <laughs> and rizzo like it was, at one point they're getting pulled by the pirates they've been held captive and Gonzo's arms and legs get stretched. <laughs> and as I can't remember what the pirate says it. He says it, but someone says, oh, don't worry about it. Now you can play in the NBA. And he's like, oh, wow, <laughs> yeah, this is great. And then it gets to Rizzo the Rat, and they're about to pull his limb as well. It's like, no, 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 please, I don't even like basketball. <laughs> <laughs> also, that Gonzo likes, yeah, they're like, don't torture him anymore. He likes it. Another great much. line in the movie. Jim, I think it's quite close to the beginning, like really close to the beginning before the, the whole adventure's even started. And they're about to sing that song about, oh, I could be so much more than just sweeping mm. this bar, or whatever. And Jim Hawkins says, like, I hate my life. Mm. And then, then Gonzo says, I hate like, your life too. And I say, like, All right, good. How's Rizzo going to match this? And Rizzo comes out with, um, <laughs> If I had a life, I'd hate it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> He's just such a wonderful, like, negative character. Yeah. But so I find him... He's, he's, he's a rat. <laughs> he's a rat through and through. He's a real rat. He's a rat. What's his line about... What's his line Rizzo about was very often, like, the voice of the audience as well, I think. Like, the, yeah. the sort of... The sense talker. Yeah. Because Jim's getting carried away with adventure. Gonzalo's an idiot. But Rizzo's like, oh, listen, I'm not sure this is a good idea, guys. <laughs> just, you know, that dampener figure. The straight man in a way. But yeah. Oh, what did you guys think of? I, so we talked a little bit about like there's no death, you know, yeah. of a family member in this. He's just an orphan. But I did notice that he has his father's compass, and that comes up a few yeah, times. Yeah, and like his father being a first was mate, and, uh, and that's sort of how Jim and yeah. Long John Silver. Long John Silver originally gets Jim by saying, "Oh, my father was a first mate to die at sea as well." And I'm not sure to what extent that was true, or he was just lying to get in Jim's favors, but. That is a consistent part of the story. He's almost like this idea of he's trying to live up to his father's legacy. His father was, you know, great at sea, and so now he's going to be great at sea. I don't think there was that element in the book at all. In the book, yeah. it was very much like his father owns this inn, and he wants to go and kind of he doesn't even want to go on an adventure. He just he's kind of 
dragged along to it, really. He gets his treasure map and then he sort of goes along, but it's someone else's mission, fundamentally. You can imagine, in the book, uh, Long John Silver saying, yeah, well, oh, I my father was... owned an N2, and Jim Hawkins being like, wow. <laughs> yes, exactly, well, yeah. yeah. Although I'm same not sure that would have the same romantic effect. Not. <laughs> uh, uh. What were you saying, yeah. Bob? Well, I thought it was very, I liked that, and I thought it was a very good way to quickly, just in that one line where they say, my father was a first mate too, they're immediately friends. It takes a long, a little bit longer, and you have to see how charismatic he is for a long period of time, Long John Silver, to see how much, to see why Jim Hawkins loves him. And here, in that one scene, that cements their relationship. And he's basically, he you can tell that he's willing to betray, well, not betray, but willing to follow, like you said, to be the apprentice of Long John Silver here in that moment, I think, because of that bonding scene. And then he starts giving away secrets because he's so willing to talk to Long John Silver after that. And he starts giving away the secret of the map, the secret, well, just he, he starts exposing too much and giving Long John Silver way too much power. And I thought it was really also a nice thing at the end where, because Long John Silver takes the compass later, says, you're going to be giving me that boy. And then at the end, when he's making off with all the money after they've left the island and they're going to take Long John Silver into custody and everything he gets on his boat long john silver he's on the escape boat and jim's gonna shoot him i thought that was really interesting he holds up a gun no no, no sorry other way around long john silver's gonna if jim shoot blows him. the whistle jim is gonna blow the whistle yeah he's gonna blow the whistle and alert that long john silver's escaping and it's a very tense moment eventually jim bets on long john silver not being able to shoot him he's seen him betray other people countless times now, but he still trusts for some reason that Long John Silver won't hurt Jim. And he doesn't, and he doesn't blow the whistle. They both just agree to let each other go. But he, Long John Silver then takes out the compass and he says, oh yeah, I got to give this back to you. And he throws it back to Jim. I thought that was the most emotional point in the movie. And it has kind of the emotional payoff that's not in the in the book where the father dies, it's almost like nobody cares. His father just dies, and then he moves on into the adventure. There's almost no mourning. He cries for someone else. He doesn't cry for his father dying. And in this, I thought that's another reason that these, another example of these directors, Jim and Brian Henson, really reading this closely, because they explore that kind of father figure attachment, even though he's he's been more like the master and the apprentice. Here, I started thinking, oh my God, are they insinuating that Long John Silver is actually Jim's father. I know that's not true at all in the movie, but I totally had that feeling. I had that reaction to that emotion because of the emotional intensity of the scene. Like, I'm going to give this back to you because, you know, we when he says like we could have really done something together, it almost sounds like oh, I wish I would have been in your life as your father. That's not what they're well, saying, but I but had that then, emotional reaction. But then after he throws it back the compass. and Jim Hawkins mm-hmm. kind of gives mercy upon Long John mm-hmm. Silver. The camera pans out and we find that Kermit the Frog has been watching the yeah. whole time. And he says, you made the right choice, Jim. And I feel like that's kind of like the revelation of who the true oh, yeah. father figure is. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, Jim does a good thing and he gets the blessing mm-hmm. of Kermit. And this this another completely opposite to the original whereby Captain Smollett is actually Kermit the Frog. In the book, Captain mm-hmm. Smollett totally is indifferent. harsh, very firm, very serious. 
Mm-hmm. Didn't really have much time for gym, but here it's Kermit. Sweet yeah. Kermit. Sweet, sweet Kermit. I think the best line of my best line of the That's movie is Kermit and Kermit and uh, Benjamin a gun, and uh, Kermit's trying to explain why he uh, stood her up. They were engaged to be married. And he says, "Oh, I'm sorry. I, I got cold feet." You're a frog. You're supposed to have cold feet. <laughs> I'm a frog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He makes the frog's excuse a lot in this movie. And then the but then then the, the best scene plane. as well. Do you remember guys remember the, the scene plane. where like um the hanging they've been been both been left to hang off the cliff cliffside. And yeah. Miss Piggy falls first and she gets caught by the ankles by Kermit the Frog. And this the pan, camera slowly pans upwards from Miss Piggy up to Kermit's face, and his eyes have transformed like to like twice their <laughs> usual size. All white with just tiny dots in it. Just look, Kermit's just like <laughs> <laughs> holding on for dear life. Can't hold her. <laughs> a great bit of visual yeah. humor. They don't often change Kermit's eyes like that, but they did it really well in that moment. And I thought it was hilarious. What did you all think of uh, the casting of Tim Curry as Long John Silver? Masterpiece. Masterstroke. Masterstroke. Great. Yeah. I love Tim stroke. Curry. At yeah. first, I was like, I mean, you know, every time every time I look at Tim Curry or sense his presence, I I kind of get the willies, you know, like like you just don't trust him. Like by casting yeah, him by as Long John Silver, you know he's a he's a bad man from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, he's interesting. He's I feel like he's a very beloved actor, and he does play a lot of like. Both trustworthy and untrustworthy characters, because he's also Doctor Frankenfurter, who like is extremely beloved. Also plays like some not pranks on people, but can be a little bit dishonest. It's hard not. It's he's like Long John Silver, where you know his character in this is going to do do some betrayal, but you love him the whole time. When he's it, he's not very lovable, or just frightening. Oh wait, is that his name in Rocky Horror Picture Show, Doctor Frankenfurter? Yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah, I, I can name. never I, I just like, refer to that character as Tim Curry. I I've never actually internalized the the uh, <laughs> the name of the character, but yeah, <laughs> he's bigger than every movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else we haven't talked about? I think so. Cool. All right. Well, that wraps up nautical lore oh you know what final thoughts on nautical lore we've had a good run here Mm. is this something we would we would personally come back to so let's let's recap we've had treasure island the sea curse Mm. Edgar Allan Poe's lighthouse fragment of lighthouse and then Muppet treasure island yeah so we're really what we've done is we have four stories that involve the sea, but we kind of have like I think the pirate story is kind of its own genre, and then like two tales of horror on the seaside. Hmm. You think that's fairly a fair proportion, a fair representation of the genre? I think we could do better in the future. We'll do we'll do more. We'll we'll do, do I want to see some admirals. More. You know what I'm talking about? Like. Yeah, so like master and command. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's I'll tell you one thing I noticed because at the very beginning we said, "Hey, let's pay attention to how the sea is represented." It very personified yeah, in both Edgar Allan Poe 
and Seekers. Yeah, Robert E. Howard. Seekers. So that was kind of a thing I was paying attention to in Muppet Treasure Island. And they do refer to the sea multiple times as a big blue wet thing. Yes. And I thought, I was like, hmm, this is very interesting. Very interesting. No romanticization yeah, about it. It's just the big yeah. blue wet thing. That's about as... Huh. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's much Same romanticization Island, no in actually Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island either. I don't remember coming away with a big impression about the water. It was all about the human beings in, in the uh, in the ship, really, that he's concerned with. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Interestingly. I'm looking through my notes for any references. So, yeah, I think the big blue wet thing is maybe the... the you know, Herman Melville eat your heart out. I disagree, but uh, maybe when we read Herman Melville, we can uh, <laughs> we can talk more about whether he sees the the ocean as a big blue wet thing or not. Hmm. What you think he sees it something different than in the lighthouse, thing, yeah. something other than a big blue wet thing? <laughs> I mean, Are you trying to say he's a what? What's wetness to me? <laughs> Does he deny that the ocean is large? I mean, I think Herman Melville will tell you all the ways in which the ocean is large, including the chemical composition of it and, you know, every minute detail. But does he have no romanticization? Does he fit all that into five words? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think there's a there's some there's something going on in Melville. And I think that has to be the starting point hmm. of next time we talk about oceanic tales. Hmm. You know, I'm I'm a lover of an elevator pitch. What's the ocean? Big blue wet thing. Yeah. Yep. Job done. Job done. <laughs> well, All the rest is mere vanity. Well, we looked at the ocean, and now we're going to go straight to the desert. <laughs> All six books of Dune. That's what's coming up next. Yeah. My water fat flesh is, is ready for a little uh, trimming down. <laughs> Big blue wet thing to two little blue things in our skulls. You mean the eyes, yeah, the spice eyes. <laughs> spice eyes. <laughs> All right, talk to you later, Bob and John. Talk to you later, John Zach. Talk to you later, Zach and Bob.